You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. The reading is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. You can find this reading on page 845 of your Pew Bible. The Parable of the Rich Fool Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Uh, Well, Sue gave us a Going Bananas song this morning about the full armour of God, and we must have been thinking along similar lines because um, I was thinking that I I wanted to start with a a medieval illustration in light of uh, the Knights of the King holiday program that we had. Um, So there's a story that during the Middle Ages, a large number of the Franks, uh, one of the people groups in Europe, uh, became Christians, and there were mass baptisms Uh, in the river. Uh, And a number of soldiers who served in Emperor Charlemagne's armies were baptised in the river as they came to faith. And as the story goes, as the soldiers were plunged under the water, they would hold their right arms up um, and keep them dry as they were baptised. That was their sword arm. And the thinking was, that if they kept their arm out of the water, then all of them was baptised but not that arm, which means there was nothing preventing them from continuing to swing their swords and kill people because that bit of them hadn't been baptised. The sermon series that we're doing at the moment is called Trusting God with Everything. And we're thinking about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. 
uh, and what it looks like to trust God with all of our lives. To think about, we would say, if we call ourselves a Christian, that we're someone who trusts in God, but what about when the rubber hits the road and we drill down to particular areas? Are there areas where perhaps we fail to trust God or whether we hold something back rather than giving it to him? You know, are we a bit like those soldiers where we say, God, I'm giving myself to you, but not that bit. I'm going to keep something dry and out of the water, unbaptized, so that I can keep doing what I want to do with that rather than giving it over to you. What is it that we fail to trust God with? It's been suggested that the the modern equivalent, possibly, of that story with the soldiers is that rather than desperately keeping our swords out of the water, um, we hold our wallets or our credit cards as we go under. God, you can have all of me, just not that bit. I want to keep control of my money. Uh, And that's the topic that Jesus addresses in the passage uh, which uh, Dushi's just read to us this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, Luke chapter 12 in the Pew Bibles, the Church Bibles, that's page 845, uh, and we're going to unpack it and look at it together. Now, what prompts Jesus to teach on this topic is that a man cries out from the crowd around him saying, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, you know, so much has changed in our world, hasn't it? In the last 2,000 years, you sort of think it's almost unrecognisable, our world, from how it was back then. And yet, some things are exactly the same as they were back then. I want a show of hands here. I'm genuinely interested in the result. Is how many people in their own families or families they know have seen or experienced a fight that has developed over a will or an inheritance. Okay. It was 100%, I think, (laughs) at 8 o'clock this morning, but still a pretty high percentage, um, still a pretty high percentage where, um, you know, massive tensions develop because people are debating, you know, who gets the money uh, in a will. In a previous church that I was in, uh, this happened to a guy called Doug, Um, and he and his brother, when their father died, he and his brother, just the tensions that developed over the money uh, led to a real problem in their relationship. And he got a Christmas card. He showed me the Christmas card. He got a Christmas card from his brother that just said, Dear Doug, Matthew 5.44 from John. Matthew 5.44 is the verse, Love your enemies. So... I reckon that Christmas card wins the award both for passive aggression as well as for Christian hypocrisy, all rolled uh, into one. But Jesus is not going to be drawn into this age-old problem of fighting over inheritances. He refuses to judge in this man's case, and instead he decides to use this as a challenge and a teaching point for all of those who are listening. Watch out, he says. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist 
in an abundance of possessions. This is the second time in this chapter that Jesus has said, be on your guard. So last week we heard Jesus say, be on your guard against hypocrisy. And now Jesus is saying, be on your guard against greed. This is something else that we need to watch out for. It's a real danger area. The word uh, greed here is literally the desire to have more, wanting to add more to what we've already got. Um, And it's a sort of insatiable desire that the more that we have, sometimes the more that we still want. Again, the things that Jesus are addressing here are exactly the sort of problems that we see in our own culture. I read a book last month uh, called Curing Affluenza. I don't know if you've ever come across that term, affluenza. Obviously, it's a, it's a merger of affluence and influenza. It's the idea that in our culture, affluence and the desire to have more and more is like a disease. It's really infectious. We catch it. We try and catch up, keep up with other people. And the more that we have, the more it seems to infect us and the more that we want. And as people have shown, it can be damaging to our health, both our mental health as well as physical health, and of course the impact on relationships as we see in examples like the fights about wills. Jesus says to his hearers, and he says it to us as well, guys, that's not what life is all about. The meaning of life is not getting more stuff and accumulating more possessions. And in order to make the point more powerfully, As Jesus often does, he tells a story. It's a pretty simple story, actually. Um, It's about a rich man and he has a bumper crop. Now, there's no suggestion anywhere in this story that the man is wealthy through immoral sort of business practices. It's not that he's necessarily done the wrong thing to get his money at all. There's no suggestion of anything negative like that. He just happens to be wealthy and well-off, and something comes his way, this bumper crop that he wasn't expecting, and he's got a decision to make. He's come into some money. What's he going to do with it? He's got so many crops due to this big harvest that his barns won't hold them, so he's got to work out what to do. And he decides, well, I'll build some bigger barns so that they'll be able to hold now what I've got, uh, and then I can sit back, I can retire because of this windfall that I've had. I can eat, I can drink, and I can be merry. I can enjoy what I've got. Again, on the surface, there doesn't seem to be too much wrong with that. He's making reasonable business decisions. In fact, you might say this guy's a a pretty good capitalist, actually. He's reinvesting his capital back in the business, increasing the size of his barns. It seems like he's being pretty wise. And he's, he's doing what lots of people desire to do. How often have you heard people say, well, I'm working really hard now, but I'm hoping that you know, once I've earned that money, I can retire early and just take life easy. So he seems to be doing things that are, on the surface, reasonable. He's being fairly wise with what he's got. And it's a bit of a shock then when you get to the end of the story, and rather than being praised for being wise... God says, you fool, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you and then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? 
God says to the man that his life is coming to an end, that he won't get to enjoy his savings. The person who dies with the most toys still dies. He can't take his wealth with him. He can't use his savings to buy his way into heaven. That is not what life is all about. And actually, when you go back through the story, Jesus, the master storyteller, has actually been laying subtle clues for us all the way along. There's much more going on here than meets the eye. So those words of the rich man, eat, drink, and be merry, actually echo an Old Testament passage, but Jesus has left off the ending. So Isaiah 22:13 says, Let us eat and drink, you say, for tomorrow we die. Well, that's exactly what happens to the man. A friend of mine was attending a, a 90th birthday party for someone that he knew, and let's be honest, most of the guests were of a similar age and era to the birthday boy. It was a fairly elderly gathering. And the son of the man who was turning 90 got up to thank the guests and he said, thank you so much for coming. It's wonderful to have you. Let's eat and drink and be merry. And my friend leant over to the person next to him and he said, remind me again how that verse ends. <laughs> More telling uh, is when you look through what the man says is how often he uses the word my in what he says to refer to his stuff. I have no place to store my crops. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, that one's more obvious in the original language because he says, I will say to my soul, or I'll say to my life, life. Uh, and then he speaks those other words. The trouble is it's actually not his life to control and to command, and that becomes blatantly obvious in the line that follows, that God is the one who controls life and death, and the man's life is demanded of him. And so Jesus gives the powerful conclusion in verse 21. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. The big issue that is going on here and the big challenge to face is the question, are we accumulating things for ourselves and seeing them simply as ours? Or are we being rich towards God? God and using the things that we've got in God's service instead. So we think about applying this to ourselves. I think it's worth us asking the question, what does it look like to be foolish with money? What does it look like to be a fool with money? There's an old proverb this is not from the Bible. This is just a popular proverb that is spoken. A fool and his money are soon parted. A fool and his money are soon parted. I mean, the idea in that proverb, if someone is, is foolish, then they'll make silly decisions 
and they'll soon lose the money that they have. But Jesus turns that on its head in what he says, and in effect he says, if you store up more and more for yourself and won't be parted from your money, then you are a fool. He kind of flips that well-known proverb on its head. And in the Bible, a fool is someone who lives their life as if God wasn't there. So Psalm 14 opens with this line. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now that's not talking about atheism as we know it. It's not talking about someone who reaches an intellectual position that, you know, it makes low logical sense for there to be a God or science has disproved God or anything like that. It's not talking about someone who's made an intellectual decision that God doesn't exist. As you read on in the psalm, you see that this is talking about a person who actually does believe that God exists. It's just that they don't live as if God exists. They live their lives without reference to him at all. It's what you might call practical atheism, an acknowledgement that there might be a God or that there is a God. It's just that if God's present, he makes no difference to my life day to day. He doesn't care what I do in different areas of my life. So being a fool with our money in the sense of Jesus is to use our money, our wealth, our possessions, our lives as if they were ours and not a gift from God. Now, that's a challenging idea that I've just thrown out there. That is a big, big idea, a big concept to wrestle with. See, whose stuff is it? In the story, the man thought it was my crops, my barn, my grain, and my life. Wasn't it? Isn't it my car, my house, my savings, my superannuation, my possessions, my life? I mean, after all, I've worked hard for it. I've been sensible and I saved and I deserve it. Isn't it mine to do with as I please? Isn't it my life? But remember that God actually demands the man's life from him because he is God. He has the right to, because he is God, he is the creator. And as the creator, he is the one who gives life to us. And all of these other things that we enjoy in life, all this other stuff that we might have as well, also comes from the hand of God. He's the one who gives us the strength to work. He's the one who provides for us. Um, when Anna was up here before, she used the word steward. And Christians sometimes talk about this thing called stewardship. Now, it can be a bit of a jargon word in Christian circles, but it's a really important concept. So a steward or a caretaker is someone who looks after things for the real owner. So in um, Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, uh, we meet this character, Denethor is his name, and he is the steward 
of Gondor. As the steward, he's responsible for looking after the city of Gondor in place of the king. There's an absence of a king at this time in its history, and so the stewards run things in place of the king. But when Aragorn comes, Aragorn who is the heir to the throne of Gondor, the true king, and that part of the book or the movies is called The Return of the King, Denethor refuses to give up control to this upstart, as he calls him. I will not bow to such a one, last of a ragged house, long bereft of lordship and dignity. Now at that point, he has failed in his job. He's failed at being a steward because the king turns up on the doorstep and he won't give back to the king what is rightfully his. He won't hand over the reins to the true king. In the Bible, God is the true king and everything that we have comes from God. God's the ultimate owner over everything in the world and we've been placed here as stewards and caretakers within God's world but under God as the ultimate ruler. That's the basis, by the way, of the Old Testament idea of the tithe. So in the Old Testament... 10% of what people had, which was usually their produce, what they they grew, was given to God for his service. And it was the first fruits. So it wasn't the leftovers or whatever was remaining after everything else had been eaten or sold at market. No, it was the first bit of it, the first fruits. And it was a way of saying... This whole harvest, everything that comes in is from God and a gift from God. Therefore, I'm going to take the first bit and offer it to God to acknowledge that the entirety of it is his and I'm offering it for his service. So we're really in that idea there, giving back to God what was his to begin with anyway. As far as the Bible is concerned, being a fool means treating wealth and possessions as if they were ours and storing them up. Being a fool means ignoring God's ownership over all things, pretending that we are kings rather than stewards, and if you like, doing a denethor by refusing to hand things over to God. Or as Jesus puts it in this story, storing up things for ourselves and not being rich towards God. So what does it look like then to be rich towards God? when it comes to our money. Well, it's actually not at all about dollar value. You might be sitting there thinking, well, I don't have that much. You know, I'm a pensioner, or I'm a student, or I simply do not have that much. It's not at all about the amount. That's not what's being spoken about here. It's actually about our attitude to God and whether we are generous to God with what little we might have. A little bit later in Luke's Gospel, Jesus points out a widow in the temple who's tossing a couple of little coins into the temple treasury. And Jesus says, that widow there, do you see her? She's been much more generous than those people who've been putting in wads and wads of cash because she had little to begin with and yet she's been generous 
with what she's got. And that's the big challenge for each of us. You know, whatever we've got, big or small, God knows that and we know that. No one else needs to know. It's between us and him. The question is, you know, what are we doing with it? Actually, the best way to develop discipline in giving is to start small. Um, Don't think that it gets easier to give to God when we've got more. We can always find ways to spend money on ourselves. We need to be faithful and generous with the little that we have and ask God to keep growing us in generosity, making us better and better at being rich towards him. And that's the challenge uh, when we do have more and we are better off as well. You know, what are we going to do with what we have? Are we still being rich towards God or are we accumulating more for ourselves? I mentioned before the Old Testament idea of the tithe, the giving of 10%. It's not really repeated that much in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we're just told to give generously, which is, you know, a little bit undefined. Give generously, whatever that looks like in your particular circumstances. Now, I happen to think um, that that 10% is a helpful guide. Um, So when we sit down and we think about you know, what's coming in and what we need to give. We use 10% as a starting point for thinking about what we should give to God's work. But it's not a law or a strict rule. Each of us needs to work out in our own circumstances what we need to do. And if we want to be wise, that means being generous towards God. And if we want to be wise, it means using what we have in God's service so that People around the world know the love of God and experience the love of God in their own lives. And so that people hear the good news about Jesus and can learn to follow him and have the blessing of abundant life that they so desperately need. That's what it looks like to be wise. The trouble is, from the perspective of the world... It looks incredibly foolish. So if you look around this room right now, you will see people who seem like they are a bunch of fools. They seem like fools because they actually give a lot of their money away to God's work. They give money away to this church for its mission locally. They give money away for God's mission throughout the world. How foolish. Think about how much money these people could have accumulated for themselves, how much more they would have had if they had have kept it rather than giving away 10% or more or whatever it is to that work. But instead of doing that, they have chosen to be rich towards God. They have made decisions to trust God with their money. They've done it because... Life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. Uh, The missionary Jim Elliott, who was killed at age 28 as he attempted to share the message of Jesus with a remote tribe, famously said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. The challenge for us is... Are we being wise or are we being foolish with what we have? Actually, I think one way or another you're going to be a fool. You're either going to look 
like a fool in the eyes of our world and our culture. This is so against our materialist culture to be giving this away uh, to God's mission in the world. We're going to look like absolute fools if we do it. But the alternative, as Jesus tells us in the story, is that there's a danger of looking foolish in the eyes of God if we're simply accumulating it for ourselves. So one way or another, we're going to look foolish. And the challenge is, in whose eyes is it better to look like a fool? And in whose eyes is it better to look wise? Whose eyes matter most? Are we willing to trust God with everything, even with our money? Are we baptising that, or are we desperately trying to keep it dry and out of the water? Let me pray for us. This is challenging teaching, and we'll ask God's help. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do provide for all of our needs, that you are a generous God who loves us and gives us such good things. Please grow in us a heart of generosity. Please help us to be rich towards you, rich towards other people, rich towards those in need. We pray that you would address and challenge each of our hearts wherever we're at today about what we need to do in response to you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek. If you have any questions about this podcast, send us an email, questions at stjohnsdc.org.au. 